Hello, my Lonely Hour listeners. This is your host, Julia, and I'm here to tell you that we have a brand new season that you can find on Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcher.com slash lonelyhour to sign up now. You'll get access to ad-free episodes and archives of some of your other favorite shows, as well as exclusive bonus episodes of hit podcasts, early access to new releases, and over 300 stand-up comedy albums. You'll also have the option to donate to The Lonely Hour, which is the best way to support it. Thank you for helping us keep this show going. I get on the scale and it had popped up to 196 pounds, which we have obesity in my family. And so I'm very, very, very strict and have been for as long as I can think of since I was like 10. So when I saw that scale that I let myself lose control in a dietary sense, um, I was just mortified. Welcome to The Lonely Hour. This is your host, Julia. We can sleepwalk through life, can't we? Then something wakes us up. We look in the mirror, or a friend speaks the truth, or in Brooke Russell's case, she stepped on the scale. She couldn't believe what she saw. She was a stranger to herself. I had all these nurses around me, and they were like, oh, you know, baby, it's okay, it's fine, it's fine. And I was just in hysterics. And they're like, what is wrong with this girl? And they were like, oh, we'll put you on the cancer patient scale because it's much more accurate. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. Like, just let's put this down. I need to address this number that shows that I've just been in denial and been eating and eating and eating. It was a real smack across the face. And I just remember that meeting with the doctor and the doctor was concerned about me. I have always looked at myself as a happier person when I'm skinny. And I knew at that moment that even though I was in a very happy relationship, um, financially I wasn't doing well and I was under a lot of stress. Other aspects of my, my life were pretty good. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't see that then. It's like it's always been around this like number on the scale. And I think my parents were so scared that I was going to end up like my aunt who ballooned. I mean, she's she is obese. She's diabetic uh, because because of her weight. And they instilled that fear in me from a very, very young age. So when I saw that, it was sort of like letting myself down, letting society down, letting my parents down and and just realizing that, like, I I felt like uh, a failure. just so that people know, like I'm, um, you know, I'll be 12 years sober. I was a drug addict and an an alcoholic. I I can remember when I was um, using heavily, um, when I was 19, I got down to 120 pounds. I was super stoked, right? I was like, I am skinny. I am hot. I was super cute. I was a misery on the interior. Like if you cut me open, it was nothing but darkness. I mean, I was just I was such a misery. I was a misery to be around, but I was stoked and I was skinny and I was happy and I felt like I could take over the world. I was 120 pounds. Now I'm five foot eight. I have big bones. I looked emaciated. I really did. 
I was kind of a garbage head, so I was using a lot of Coke. I was using a lot of uh, methamphetamines um, because there wasn't any Coke in Baltimore really at the time. So we were using, and there was a huge influx of San Francisco glass coming in. So we were, you know, we were snorting a lot of a lot of methamphetamines and uh, ketamine. It wasn't like hard for me to get my hands on things. And then once that went away, I really hit the drinking, and then. I was able to maintain my weight pretty evenly. I did put on weight from drinking. And then when I stopped drinking in 2005, um, and you know, I was doing other things too, but my primary thing was drinking. Somehow, I don't even know how I graduated, honest to God. I mean, I would be like snorting ketamine and off of my computer and like writing papers like in a K-hole. Like that's just, you don't do that. Like, I don't even know, I don't even know how I did it. And then it got really out of hand when I was working. Um, I went through this whole period and I was like, as again, like I was skinny during this time. Like my sick head makes me look back on this and go, but yeah, but you were skinny, so you were happy. But I really wasn't. Like I have to remind myself that I was an abject misery for just a cloud of just, just depression and, and, and instability. After a while, Brooke cleaned up her act. She got sober, and she got to thinking about the next step in her career. She went after the best internships with Jane Henry, a master gilder and furniture restorer in New York, and with Baltimore's Walters Art Museum. And she started the application process to get an historic preservation degree at Columbia University. It just seemed like a no-brainer to give back to art because art had given me so much growing up. It's like I knew I was good at it. You know, because all, all the internships I'd had, like I did full treatments on on altarpiece sections from the, the Renaissance it, it, as an intern, which is just like, you know, I'm not like tooting my own horn here, but that's like they don't let like the average Joe come in and, and start doing that. I wasn't getting into school. I kept getting denied, denied. And so then that was about when I was like 29 or so is when I started really eating a lot. When I was in in the throes of this trying to get into school, I was eating, I, I felt like I constantly needed to feed something in me to make myself feel better. I mean, it's your very textbook 101, emotionally eating thing. It's like, it's like almost boring, it's so textbook. It's like, I feel bad, I'm going to eat a piece of cake. And I wasn't eating like disgusting, like I wasn't like stuffing my face with like Cheetos or anything, but it was like, expensive eating. I can remember, like, there's this, like, lovely little place called Paradis that's around the corner, and they would make these $8 parfait, which was, like, homemade yogurt with, like, homemade jam in it. I mean, it was just so, it was very rich. That's how I do it. I had, like, a shopping addiction and a food addiction, and it was, like, I could just, like, basically put those two together and feed that addiction. Hit one, hit two birds with one stone. Eventually she did get in, but the eating continued. It had become her way to deal with stress and the demanding master's program was definitely going to lay on the pressure. So I'm going through this like insane program and I was very active in downtown AA. Downtown AA is fabulous. I mean, I can't say enough good things about it. Downtown AA is like, I mean, not everybody, but for the most part, people are pretty hot. 
they're like really good looking people because it's downtown New York City. I mean, I'm obviously painting with a super broad brush, right? But you know, like there's popularity games, there's there's echelons. I, I would I was, you know, I was like chairing one of the most popular meetings and like I was really, really active and I had this like core group of like cute girlfriend and I'm not good with girls. P.S. Like I'm always like not I have no girlfriends. I have like probably like five, five girlfriends and I just am not good with them um, with 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 other females. So so for me, I was like, oh, this is what success feels like. But I was still comparing myself, even though I was like thin, I was still comparing myself to other people, of course, because they're like, I mean, I had this one friend who's like, li- like, literally the hottest girl you've ever seen in her life in your life. Like, like, she's just such a 10. Like, sometimes I hover around a six and a seven. But like, if you add my personality, and I could be like an eight. My other tight friend was this like, gorgeous, like Australian model, literally, like she was like ethereal. She was like, she had like this long flowing platinum blonde hair. And she was just like, just God, like court, like people would stop and stare on the street. That was my group of friends, right? So I was just like, oh, put a knife in my neck. Like I just like, there's just no winning there. And then what happened was is like, you know, I, I get into school and then I, I, I do this like ginormous waking. It's like, how can I go hang out with those people? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, you know, my thighs are going to be like eh, 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 walking into the room. You know what I mean? Like, I just, you know, I, I couldn't. I, there was no way that I could go back. Maybe I think that other people will think what I'm same way that I think when I see someone who's gone through a drastic weight gain. Go, holy shit, they've gained weight. Because that's I'm an ugly person like that. I'll do that. That's one of my character defects. What happened to them? God, they really let themselves go. So maybe other people would do that to me. So then what happened was, is when I went and had that waking, I was like, I stopped going to AA. I stopped going to AA for like two years. I didn't go. So it was really bad for my sobriety. And of course, like the thing about AA, it's not just about like not drinking. It's also like, so when you go to an AA meeting and you're around other alcoholics, it's like this, this thing where your brain just like resets. And I wasn't resetting my brain and I was going through all this shit with, you know, uh, weight gain and I was dealing with other people in my class. Like, just to give you an example of what I was up against with people in my class, like I get this amazing job where I work at the Park Avenue Armory restoring fucking veterans room, which was designed by Lewis Comfort Tiffany and Stanford White. Thank you very much. It's the job, like the pinnacle, like basically my career could be over right now and I'd be happy. It was like the best job ever. And, you know, my, my, instead of saying, oh, that's really great. They go, well, you always were a kiss ass. Yeah. It's like, that's what I'm up against. You know, it's like, there's just no, there's just no grace. So this cycle went on. I stopped having sex with my boyfriend. I, I did not go outside. I did not do anything. I slept, ate and drank historic preservation and conservation for, that's that's basically what I did. I have this job afterwards, you know, a few months afterwards, and the, and the shit's hitting the fan again, and I get on the scale and I'm at 196 pounds, and I'm like, obviously, like, that's a result of everything, like, snowballing up behind me, you know? And it was just all, like, I had created this wall around myself where I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want anybody to see me. Like, I would go home and stay home. Order Grubhub. Grubhub like killed me. Grubhub Grubhub literally slaughtered my life. Like Grubhub is the worst thing ever. It was like such an enabler. Like you never have to leave your house. You don't even have to call anybody. It's just all online. It's like uh, it's like the ultimate. It's like it's like ultimate isolation. It was beautiful. 
So I was 185 pounds. This is how obsessed I am. 185 pounds when, when, when I entered Weight Watchers and I entered Weight Watchers because I was going to get married. And so I was 185 pounds when I went to our engagement party. And that was in March of 2014. And um, I'm still in Weight Watchers to this day. I have not lost a ton of weight. I'm down at 172. And my first Weight Watchers meeting, I, I cried because it was like, I'm finally around people who get what it's like to have an eating disorder because like people forget any sort of obsessive compulsive behavior around food is a fucking disorder. But you don't have to exercise it in, in starvation or, or binging and purging. Something that people really don't talk about enough is like any, anyone who's, who finds the need to go to Weight Watchers to spend $45 a month in order to track and monitor and manage their eating probably has an eating disorder. And, and I think there's this idea that it's, it's about the negative space of taking away that makes an eating disorder, but it's also about like adding too much too that's part of an eating disorder. I mean, people who, who have eating problems and are like, I mean, of course there's the, there's the natural obesity, right? That people suffer from that has to do with their bio, biochemistry, but there's also like the, 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 the emotional aspect of it too. That's an eating disorder, plain and simple. So that's the good thing about Weight Watchers is it's sort of like I go and I like absolve myself and, and people are like sympathetic and they're like, okay, but you know, how do you feel? They sort of say, how do you feel about it when you eat it? You know, do you feel guilty? And like, that's amazing that they address things like that. As for AA, Brooke is working her way back. I'm just working the steps again and but it's still hard for me to go to meetings. Like I don't go to the same meetings that I used to because I just don't, I still don't want people to see me because I still feel like I'm 20 pounds overweight. I'm like, once I hit 155 pounds, then I'll feel comfortable enough to be around those people again. We wish good luck to Brooke on her journey. Do you have questions for her? Questions about this episode? You can email me at lonelyhourpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Lonely Podcast. Or you can find me on the Lonely Hours Facebook page. And sign up for our newsletter at thelonelyhour.com and you'll be the first to know when the next episode drops. Until then, enjoy yourself. This episode was produced at The Listening Booth with executive producer Terrence Mickey, producer Chris McLeod, and me, assistant producer Carrie Ann Thomas. The Listening Booth. We make you think twice. There's a story inside. <laughs>